0: Big Roy.
1: Hi Chris, how are you getting
0: on, mate? Not too bad, mate. How are you? Yeah,
1: not too bad. Just
0: hanging in there. Good lad, Nobody good is. lad. What have you been up to today? I've just been in the garden, mate, as usual, just doing a little things <laughs> around the garden. I think that I think I've grass I cut the grass that many times, uh, I have no grass left in the garden. Good I'm lad. Great. See i get the and getting bit getting a bit, I'm getting I'm a bit of stick with the barnet, mate.
1: Give me a, I back, I
0: need to do I'm losing mine. I'm losing mine. <laughs> uh, right, so listen, for, for people who have just tuned in and what what we're gonna do, we're gonna talk about we can't talk about all your career because you've you've had that many clubs and we're, we're talking about your career, we'll be here all night. So just basically yeah. wanna ask you a few things just about obviously Man United, Olympia ICOS um and sort of go through them and the success there that you had there. Um and as I said yesterday, I'm going to open it up then for the questions that have been sent through, you know, from from the viewers as well. Um. So if, if you can just sort of take us back, take your memory back in terms of how signing for Manchester United came about for you. Um. I know you were, you were Wigan at the time, weren't you? Yeah, I was um, at the time. Uh, I was I had a good four years at Wigan. We were trying to get promoted up to League One at the time. Ch- sorry, the, yeah,
1: Championship. Uh, we, couldn't, we couldn't just make it. And uh, there was a lot of rumours of me moving to the Premier League. Uh-huh. Uh, one of the rumours came through with Leicester, uh, Leicester City. And um, the situation with me going to Leicester was looking forward to playing the Premier League. But happens in football, uh, I went down, shook hands, and the deal fell through in the last minute. So, these things happen in football, a lot, a lot of young people out there have to understand that football isn't always that you have knocks and uh, knocks uh, in, in the game, but for me, it was a big knock for me because I was in the lower low leagues for six years and I thought this was my opportunity to go play in the Premier League Yeah. and I got a, got a phone call from me agent Chris and uh, he turned around and said Sir Alex wants to speak to me and I uh, couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah,
0: I'm, I'm sure you <laughs> thought somebody was winding you up.
1: I thought it was i like get a lot of people uh go through this experience and you think oh this isn't right so i put the phone down got a phone call back and he's turned around and said no i'm being serious so alex wants to speak to you yeah so the next day i went down, went down to speak to him the next day and uh it was uh it was amazing just sitting there with the best manager in the world in front of you thinking what's going on here you know yeah. I mean, this manchester united you're, you're one of the biggest teams in the world and the best manager in the world so it was one of those opportunities opportunity for me. It was never going to turn down because I never really had a goalkeeping coaching. Uh, uh, every every session I was playing for six years. It was maybe once a week, maybe once every two two weeks. Uh-huh. So it was opp- opportunity to to play with good players. And uh, getting coached with a goalkeeping coach every day would have made me stronger and
0: better. Yeah, did you feel though at the, at your time at Wigan that you were making strides? You know, had you heard whispers the Premier League clubs were going to be interested and in, You know, did you feel that you were ready for that challenge in yourself?
1: The thing is, the thing in football is like there's so many rumors in football. Yeah. Uh, until you said that, until you go and speak to the manager, uh, like I said before, I nearly went to Leicester, spoke to the manager, shook hands on the contract. And I fell through Yeah, but there were so many rumours in the last two years of my contract with uh, with uh, Wigan that there was teams interested me but end of the day Chris if you don't perform on a Saturday or or whenever you play you're never going to get a move so it's down to the player it's up to them what mindset you're playing in yeah and for me I was just playing every week uh, for Wigan I was a Wigan player until I got the opportunity to move on and lucky enough I got an opportunity to play for them amazing team in Manchester United and the players around me when I walked in the first day was, it was frightening, trust
0: me, Yeah. It scary. It's about to say, you know, obviously you're walking into, you know, a team who are, you know, one of the biggest clubs in the world, you know, full stop, obviously with probably one of the best managers of all time as well. How, you know, how was that sort of walking into that environment of, you know, quality players, different sort of characters, you know, higher standard, you know, the. Di- how long did it sort of take you to get used to that? There, you know, the demands of being, you know, disres—no disrespect—sort of the Wigan, but now the demands of Manchester United and, and what it what it's really about.
1: I the, the for me when I I tell you a story, it was three weeks before the pre see- uh, preseason started, so I had three weeks thinking about what I'm going to be saying to these players. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So <laughs> sitting there three weeks and I couldn't sleep for the three weeks, thinking, "Oh my God, what am I going to say?" Uh, first day I moved, First day I went into the training. I was I was there an hour and a half before training. Everybody else, and I just sat there. and The first person came up and said, uh, it was David Beckham." He shook my hand, and and I was, Chris, it was amazing. There, uh, the players were just down there. I didn't realize how easy it was going to be to settle in so quickly. Yeah. Like the first day I joined them, I was uh I was nervous. We got to meet them. They were just normal, normal guys. Uh-huh. We just wanted to win. We want success for the club and. And for our families, you know, what I mean, playing for the massive club like United, so taught me took, didn't take that long, mate. It probably took me probably the first ten minutes in
0: training, the first day of training, that settle down to get to know the players really well. Yeah, and who who was the other goalkeepers there at the time? Was a and was Bartes there when you were there?
1: I was. Fabian barthez was there, and uh, uh, there was a Dutch, another Dutch keeper there. Was Riem van der Zaal? Uh, Riem, uh, Riem van der Zau was. Uh, he was there but uh I was I came in, Ferguson asked me he, he says you won't be playing football because you're still young going I want you to grow and stuff like that there. And uh Fabian was the number one he said I was gonna be the number not the number two but be more or less like sitting on the bench most weeks. Yeah. And uh, the situation came. Uh, I ended up playing after after I think it was the fourth game, fifth game of the season I was playing. So
0: Because yeah. it was sorta was it was sort of after it was good to have it was sort of like after Schmeichel had retired, they sort of tried, tried sort of different goalkeepers, didn't they? And then they, re, they never really sort of stuck with one out of that group of sort of yourself, Bartez, Tim Howard, you know, goalkeepers like that. Uh, that's
1: that's the biggest problem at Manchester United. See, when when somebody like Peter Schmeichel leaves the club, the supporters expect to have another Peter Schmeichel. Yeah, situation has got any player in the world or any goalkeeper in the world. Everybody's different. Uh, Fabian Bartes came in at Manchester United and he's won everything in the world. Uh, he's won more trophies than Peter Smagel in, the, in, uh, in his international career. Uh-huh. For me, uh, Peter Smagel was good, but don't worry, uh, Peter, Peter Smagel made mistakes. Uh, and, uh, and that's the thing with me, I learned when you make mistakes at a big club, uh, you might make one or two mistakes in a season, but it's, it's blown out of proportion because it's on TV and it's in the papers. Yeah. Uh, and every, everybody's, uh, yeah, it's Manu's a big highlight. Everybody's wanting to see how much tonight is getting on. And that's the problem with goalkeepers. You had Mark Bosnich there, you had Fabian Bartes, you had myself turn, turned up when I was very young. I was 23 when I moved to Manu. Yeah. So I was very, very young. young as a keeper and Tim Howard came along as well. Ricardo, the Spanish goalkeeper. So they had so many goalkeepers until they found, found uh, the right one, which was uh, uh, which was took a long time to find the right one. Uh, yeah, softball.
0: sort of. Founders, Founders are then sort of came in, and then obviously De Gea after him. Um, but it, just as you're sort of talking, just as you're talking about sort of like top clubs, I know obviously Manchester United is one of the biggest clubs in the world. But do you find that? sort of almost your mental ability and your character and your mental strength has to be up there and a par with your obviously your playing your technical ability and your your tactical ability yeah i, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there i think
1: when i moved to Man U, it was, a, it was a different culture for me it was i was playing the lower leagues i moved to manchester united and complete everything was completely different the professional of the club discipline of the players Training sessions was high tempo, high tempo from yeah. start to finish, and uh, and the, the mental side of the game was no matter who you are playing, uh, you have to win because even the smallest team in the Premier League wants to be the best team in the, in the world. Cause like we played for Linfield, the biggest club in, uh, in the country here, and everybody wants to win, and that's the same thing when you play for a big club, no matter what 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 position in the league they want to be Manchester United and. Uh, uh, We've lost some games when you thought the other team on the list. Tonight it was just the way it is in football. Yeah, and uh, you need to have mental, mental. Uh, need to go to Manu because Manu's a big thing. When you go to Manu, you can't just think second best is good. It's not. You have to be number one.
0: And yeah. That's the thing at Manu. Yeah, and who was obviously Roy Keane was captain at the time, and you know he obviously played with a lot of great players, goals, Rooney, Beckham, stuff. What was the actual changing room in terms of, um, you know I know was it Teddy Sheringham and Andy Cole sort of that they, they came out publicly and said that they they never spoke off the pitch they had fell out and you know obviously on the pitch that they they had a relationship where they they, they wanted to win, but who who drove that that changing room? Obviously the the the, the number one can candidate is Roy Keane. But, but did he solely? Who was the other sort of leaders in that dressing room, and who who set the standards?
1: I think well, I think the whole team was, uh, from from the subs up to the uh, players you were playing, because they were so focused on winning games, and uh, the whole team was just prepared to win the game, and the motivation. Okay, you're going to have Roy Keane, who's the engine of the team, who uh, who's the, he's the captain of the squ- uh, of the squad, like and. But the whole team was. Uh, even Ryan Giggs, uh, Ryan Giggs could be quiet, like, but he knows when to talk at the right time. Yeah. And uh, the likes of uh, the likes of uh, Paul Paul Scholes in the middle. Yeah, it's just the way he plays. What gets you motivated? You know what I mean? Yeah. His tackling, his tackling is not the best in the world. <laughs> but yeah. You see how they get, uh, how they give 100 percent every game we're playing. Even no matter what game you're playing, you have to give 100. percent in, uh, Because if you don't give that 100, uh, there. You have the likes of Roy Keane, Ryan Giggs, Gary Neville. All them ones giving you a little kick up the backside and said, "Come you, here, you're
0: playing at Manchester United. Get your finger out." Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and what what was if you can give us sort of a wee insight to to how Keane was? Just I know we've we've obviously heard a lot of interviews and stuff from from other players. Was he was he the best captain that you that you ever played under? And how, how sort of inspirational was he at getting the best out of the players? You know, on the team. For me personally, uh, I like what Roy came
1: was because it's the type of person I am as well. Uh, he's hungry. He's got the hunger. He wants to win, even in five sides. He wants to win five sides in, in training sessions. And was that uh, was that
0: was that relentless every single day, Roy?
1: Every single day, every single day. I, my first year, Chris. I go back a little bit. My first, sorry, my first year in the my my new squad. Uh, we had a month off for pre-season uh, before pre-season starts next year. I was completely, completely done. Yeah. <laughs> so I was mentally, I was mentally, uh, mentally because you're thinking so much about games and our training sessions and high tempo. My body was just broke down and just for a month I just rested for a month and recovered in the right way and was prepared in the right way to be ready for the next year. And that's yeah. what it was like. And, because you know me when I'm like, you, you've trained me mate, and I always uh, 100% every yeah. time like. And yeah. uh, that's just the way I've been brought up. But but, but the time is with Roy Keane, he, he's a man. You've seen, him at, you've seen him in these videos at Arsenal coming down the tunnel. That's just the way he is. You've seen him shout play my new players on the pitch. Yeah. That's the way you take him. And I, I took him the right way, because I knew what he wanted at the end of the day. So it's to win trophies. You want to look back in your career and say how many trophies you won in your career. Yeah. That's what that's what winners
0: do. Absolutely. Is there a a well, funny story? is there a funny story yeah. at an FA Cup match against Everton? That you get hit on the back of the head with an object at Goodison Park? That <laughs> wasn't
1: funny. That wasn't, <laughs> <laughs> wasn't funny. I got smashed
0: in the back of the head. I went a bit mad in the head at the moment. Only you, Mira. Only no, you, no, you no. I got a man. What actually happened, because it was it something to do with Wayne Rooney's return to Goodison Park, that obviously the Everton fans and stuff weren't, they weren't too, because you I won think, 2-0 uh, that day as well, didn't you? I I think that was when Rooney's first came back, to, as you said, to Everton, and of course we were winning the game, and what do I do normally? Uh, I was doing a little bit of time-wasting as usual. Wind them boys
1: up as usual, I mean. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, uh, but uh, I was playing nine games with the supporters, I think, time-wasting, and uh, lucky enough... Uh, <laughs> So be fair, like I was lucky because someone told me if I never got hit with that uh, with, I think it was a 50p in the back of my head uh, next minute was a, a mobile phone coming towards me yeah. as well so I went down with the 50p and then a mobile phone just went <laughs> past my head but it's uh, I've played all over I've played all most in Greece I've played in Denmark and I've had things thrown at me and even in the Irish League I'm not going to say what team it is but I had a hot dog thrown at me in the Irish League so Brilliant. it's just it's it's the way it is. I was hungry as well. I Yeah, I should, <laughs> <laughs> I
0: should have picked it up and had it. I should've. Well yeah. and so your time at Manchester United then obviously you learned, you probably learnt a lot, you know, off the the way sort of you were gonna go about the rest of your career. Um you ended up with a Premier League medal, an FA Cup medal, um and a, a community shield medal as well. Um what about what about the Pedro Mendes goal as well? That was never in sure it wasn't What 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 goal was
1: that? <laughs>
0: Can't remember that. <laughs> lucky Come there was here. no layer. lucky there was no VAR about then.
1: Kimia, I've been asked that question many times. I'd be a multi-billionaire if I answered it all the time. Kimia, there, I. It's it's good to have on the video because I, with me doing my goalkeeping schools, uh, I showed uh, I wanted to understand that the kids. Like, never take the ball, uh, yeah, off the ball because every shot's a hard shot. And that was it. It wasn't even a shot. It was just a loopy. Yeah, ball, it was sort but, of just a big loopy uh, back to me. I, I just lost my concentration. I was looking to throw the ball out to the right, and just took my eye off the ball, and next minute the ball hit the chest and went over my over my shoulder, and uh, my reaction was was unbelievable. <laughs> I just scooped it before I went over the line.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. So, in terms in terms of then you, I'm just going to speak a wee bit of sort of about you know what life was like then, in, in Greece probably a completely different lifestyle for yourself. You know, obviously a different way of living, different language you know different climate in terms of the heat and things like that so how did you how did you sort of find your way to Greece how did that how did that come about
1: it came about because I, I had a lot of problems off the field and uh, drinking and depression took over and uh, I, I think it was coming up I think I got the move I went off to drink in June, uh, June and then I got a phone call in uh, August time to go to Greece uh uh-huh. I got the opp- I got the opportunity to move to Greece, and uh, me and the me and the wife uh, and the kids. Uh, I got back to my wife. We had a big, we had a lot of problems for about two or three, four years uh, with the drink, with my drinking and depression problems. It was really bad, and uh, we had an opportunity to go to Greece for a week and get a bit of sunshine. You know, what I mean, Chris, and get away and see yeah. how things are out there. And my wife and myself, we really enjoyed it. Uh, we, I love the I love the hot weather and. And it took my head off, it took my mind off the uh, problems back in the UK. Do uh, so you just
0: thinking this was this was sort of more of a, a fresh challenge for yourself to sort of get your head right and, you know, sometimes a fresh yeah. challenge maybe in a different country can, you know, sort of bring you back to neutral again.
1: Yeah, I just think that at the time I had to get away from the United Kingdom and uh, the situation with my problems was uh, I don't know if I could. Have, uh, I don't know what would have happened like, but if I stayed in England, I, I don't know if I would, would have went back on the drink or whatever. But the culture changed everything. Once I moved to Greece, it was a completely different lifestyle. Yeah, and I met a lot of good people outside football in Greece. I met a lot of people who inside football, like players who didn't even drink as well. So we used to go out and have coffee, teas, or whatever, and uh, maybe even have a night out. And I'm drinking up a few cans of Red Bull or whatever, yeah. and uh, and uh, just just. It just got my mind off it. But for, for be fair, Chris, like I've been on the, I was on the drink, drinking heavily for nearly three or four years. Yeah, so it took me a long time to, to recover. Like, and took me over, took me another year two years to finally say, I, I'm feeling good. But you, you can always have dark days. Yeah. So, uh, and and for Offie, the team in Greece where I was playing, and Office a team in Crete. In Crete, yeah. Uh, I was there, I was there for six months. I was there for six months, and I ended up moving to. Olympiagos, uh, a fantastic club in, in Athens, one of the biggest clubs, uh, is the biggest club in Greece and uh, playing Champions League football again and Europa League football
0: so I, I, I started loving the game again because I lost that love for the game Yeah, as you say, Olympiagos, massive club, you know, proud European traditional playing in the Champions League um, the, fa- the fans took you pretty well over there, didn't they?
1: What team did you say that, Chris? Olympia Icos. Oh, I thought you said some other team. There. <laughs> no, uh, uh, yeah, Icos, Yeah, because I think my first game was I came off the bench for the last fifteen minutes to save a penalty, and lucky enough I fell the right way. Yeah. And uh, kept it out. And uh, the fans—I uh, didn't realize how big it, big, uh, it was going to be until I moved, until I went back to Athens. And uh, driving down the road, and people just waving at me and shouting the name and.
0: It's, it's, it's the passion of Olympiakos fans are unbelievable. Yeah, are, are the fans comp- are the fans. Sort of like you know, people say it's like a religion to sort of them. You know, countries like Greece and Italy and, and places like that. Are the fans completely different to the ones in the UK? Or what? What yeah, differences well, was there? Yeah,
1: I think I think when uh, you're playing in, like my new fans, uh, when you're playing away from home, my new fans, it's, like, you may have four, five thousand my new fans and that's the hardcore fans, and they're, they're amazing, team as like West Ham, West Ham playing at Upton Park, when I was there, is that you're walking out, and your, your hairs are standing in the back of your neck, because they're blowing the bubbles, so, you know what I mean, but Yeah. Olympiography, it was completely different, because they sing the whole way through, from the first second to, le, to the end of the game, they're singing the whole way through, and yeah. uh, of course they have flower, flowers up in there, and all that like, smoke and everything, you know what I mean, it was bangers going off, and, yeah. uh, it was a different way of life for me and I really enjoyed it it was amazing amazing uh, three years in Greece when I was out there yeah. and uh, I haven't been back I haven't been back since but I'm definitely going to go back and see a lot of good people out there again yeah
0: and ha- how did their support react with like a bad performance or a loss and obviously you hear stories and things of, of like supporters attacking cars and stuff and you know waiting for you at the at the training ground or whatever was there any ever that sort of went on you get uh
1: Passion of the fans is just it's their life. You know what I mean? The club uh, over here like the supporters. You see the German league now they're playing without any supporters, and you see yeah. how much you need support in the ground. And uh, and that's what uh, that's what Nip-August was. with they're a family club, and even supporters used to come in before a big derby game at training grounds and speak to the players. And and you see the passion from them supporters. You realise how big this game is. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And and that's what that's what Olympia, was. Even even when Sir Alex was at Manchester United, uh, he used to you know what I mean. He said, "Go and sign them autographs and them supporters because they 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 follow you all all over Europe." You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. And, and that's why a lot of people. That's why I give respect to supporters, uh, especially the teams I'm playing for because they're 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 a big thing behind the club. People don't realize how much these supporters are good for the club and. Olympia, Argos, yeah. Some, some, sometimes if you lose lose a game, you know you're going to get in better trouble. You know what I mean? Because Yeah. yeah. That's where, that's just where it was in Greece, and and the thing, the thing in football, like if if you can give hundred percent every game you play in and the supporters see that, they respect you more. And that's that's what that's what I was doing when I moved out to Greece. I was giving even when I was playing in England, I hundred percent every game i play in. Yeah. And supporters see that, Chris. I think they see that, and, and that's all they want.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. You're right. Um. So in two thousand and sixteen, you ended up coming home and um, the to, to play for Linfield. Um. Question: I Want to ask you was it always sort of in your head, or you know, is it always on your and in, in your gut feeling that you wanted to return home one day and, and play in the Irish League? Or what way did that come about? If things happen. Things happen in life for a reason. Hey, and. Uh... I
1: never thought like fifteen years ago I'd been thinking about coming back to Northern Ireland and playing and living. Uh-huh. But uh, the situation the situation happened was when I was uh playing in Greece, I ended up uh a new manager came in, so I had to move because he got his own goalkeeper so I had to move back home. So when you're leaving the country in the last I think it was the last two weeks, you don't know where you're gonna go. So me and the wife decided to move back to Northern Ireland. I knew the school. My son was 15, so I knew the school in the final town. So he was going to go there and do his uh, exams and stuff like that there. And I got a phone call to go to Notts County because I still wanted to play because of the year two thousand sixteen. 2016. Yeah. I think this was 2014 when I went to Notts County. Yeah. In 2015 it was. and uh, uh, then, then I was thinking, what's my plan to go to, what, what's my plan after football? 'Cause I knew I can carry on, but when I moved to Notch County, I tell you the truth, I I moved to Notch County and I found it hard because the younger players are getting more uh, that attitude wasn't there. Uh, it was just they turn up the train and uh, they think, Oh, play the game on a Saturday If we win we win, if we don't we don't, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that uh, it was really let me it was really getting me down. And uh,
0: Do you find do you, sorry, just just to sort of do you find that way a lot of young players now? <laughs>
1: Not saying every young player, but I just think when uh, in England, especially when these players are coming down from the Premier League, they think they should be in the the first eleven, and and that's the big problem. When in the Premier League now, they probably they haven't probably played against men, you know what I mean? Because they've probably been in that club for six, seven years, yeah, in the same level, age level until about nineteen years old, uh, and then they end up getting released, then they come down the league, like League Two, League One, League Two, and uh, I don't realize how tough it is uh, yeah because same. seems uh even the same as me coming back to linfield
0: it's just a dog fight isn't mind. it it's, if you're not ready to oh, fight and roll your sleeves up you're going to be found out
1: i i had an open mind i knew i'm i'm since i've got older and i've been off the drink uh, i think you know more when you get older in football and i had an open mind how many young players come back from england and scotland uh to the Irish League and then it just disappear because they yeah. can't handle it. You know. So uh, many. The thing, the thing is, like uh, for me, I have an open mind I found it hard for the first two months, three months, because I had to be very disciplined and do extra training because I used, I was used to training five days a week. Yeah. Uh,
0: uh, and then you're coming down three days a week and playing on a Saturday, so that 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 was hard. But then you get used to it because you, you, it's like anything in life, you adapt to everything, and that's what I had to try and do. Yeah. So how 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 did it come about? Sort of moving to Linfield. Um. Did David Healy give you a ring and, and sort of asked you reopen the the coming home? Because I know you said there you obviously you had sort of goals and aspirations of maybe many you know being involved for the for the Euros. Um. You know. So how how did that all come about? And did you have doubts whether sort of if you moved back to the Irish League, then you might not be picked then for to go to France with with Northern Ireland. No, I what it was. I was uh, I ended
1: up staying. Uh, I think it was two years at Nuts County, and uh, I, the Euros were in two thousand and sixteen. So I I spoke to David Healy. I was shying away from him, I spoke to David Healy, and we spoke about what 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 he wants and stuff. And I know Dave. I know David Healy for a long, long time. He's a great player. He's uh, becoming a good manager. Uh, the thing I knew about him, he he was hungry to win games as well, and, and that's what got me to go to Linfield. Yeah, and uh, and of course I still one of the for the a big team, and I know it's only part-time football, but Linfield, you, you get the opportunity to play in Europe, and as you see, Chris, when we played at Celtic a few years ago, uh, fifty thousand fans there. Yeah, I don't think many players in that Irish Irish league would play in front of that ever again. You know what I
2: mean? Yeah. So look, for me to come back, given experience,
1: my experience to the younger players at Linfield and and the even younger, younger players at Linfield was uh, I want to try to give something back. And we had a me and my wife had a long talk. She loved it over here. And I decided, right, I'll move home. We move home and I, I will start trying to do things for the country where, where I was brought up in because there's a lot of young kids around this country who needs uh, a bit of pushing a, a pushing in the right direction and that's what I would like to try and do. But moving to Linfield, Chris it was a brilliant, especially the first year mate. It was, it was some season
0: the first year. Yeah, uh, when in the, the treadmill in the first up. season, especially especially in the first season when probably up until round about sort of January February time, didn't didn't really look like we were going and, and sort of going to do anything. I remember, I remember actually a meeting that on Midsley Park, where the actual old Midsley Park, where we were sort of all gathered, and you know the manager said. You know, do do we believe if if we're gonna go in and win anything this year? And you know, it was sort of after that meeting that everything sort of then just took off for us. Um, there was a few sort of choice words said. Everyone sort of got out with the felt, and then we really really kicked on. And then obviously, I think we won the last was a twelve and thirteen games in a row. Um, that season so that that season was that season was a special one.
1: I must have missed. Did I miss that meeting, mate?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I won't tell anyone what you said. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nah, can you hear, can you hear, that's what I'm saying about football. Things can change in a game. Yeah, Like, if uh, it's just one little uh, incident happens in a game and uh, it just kickstarts you, uh, your season again. And yeah. It did for us. It did for us. Like, because that was an unbelievable run. Uh, that was a big, big win uh, winning the league and winning the Irish, the Irish Cup in the County Anthem shoot as well. So, it was nice to come back and win three trophies
0: in one year, mate. It was nice. It was brilliant. Yeah, uh, Do, was that's nice. what I mean. It was it was fantastic. It was surreal. And then obviously, last year, you know, your final year that you'd done your cruciate ligament and stuff, and the way you, the way you sort of, you know, left and again after that. How how is the the knee and stuff now? And you're back to sort of feel like I know that you're doing. Obviously, you've got your own sort of goalkeeping coaching academy stuff now. So how's things and how's things going with that? Yeah, my knee's good now. Hey, Chris, it's just, uh, it's just keep going, mate, and keep working. Like uh, I had a bad injury before. Uh, I
1: think remember the Balamina game. I done my knee, it was out for three months as well. Yeah. And uh, I started picking up injuries and thinking, some of the balls just saying times, times up. Like getting these injuries on my knees. And I, I thought about it. Like um, I don't know what I'm, I'm still thinking about, it, Chris, because I do miss <laughs> it. I do miss football. I yeah. Do miss it, mate. I'm not going lie to about, lie about it. But sure you really do.
0: You've done do. it for, what, the last 25 years of your life? Like, you know, so it's a massive, you it's, know, it's a massive it's hole a big, from your, from basically your, your everyday life that you've done for the last 25 years. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big part of my life, mate. Probably 90% of it. all football, mate, i tell you, the truth. That's just why I am. Yeah. But I thought about it, Chris, and I want to be a goalkeeping coach now and, and maybe push on and see what else I
1: can do in, in the football game. But, I don't wanna lose my knees, mate. I do yeah. not wanna lose my knees. See when you see if I come back in the dominee again I might pop me out for longer and, and get worse and worse. I wanna try and keep coaching for the next fifteen fifteen yeah. years. I'm still a young boy. Thirty I'm thirty 32 years old, so I have another twenty odd years
0: left. Flying, mate. That's that's it. Like, you know, you gotta to think to yourself as hard as hard as it is, you know, there is life after football in terms of with your family and you know, if you do wanna go into coaching then you know, you sort of you have you have to get yourself out of it in some way that you know you're capable of of doing all them things. Then after football, you know. Um, I I just wanted to speak a wee bit about Northern Ireland. Obviously, myself, you know, from talking to you and you know probably everyone that knows you and, and know you growing up is that you that you have a massive passion for playing for your country, um and you know I know certainly how how much that means to you, um forty five caps in all was it?
1: Forty five caps, yeah, Chris.
0: Yeah. Do you, do you feel that you should have got more?
1: Yeah, you do. Of course you do. You Because I was playing... My, my debut was 19. Yeah. And Thailand. That was my debut. In one Thailand, of 19
0: 20, 21st of May, 1997. Well, it wasn't that long, was it? <laughs> 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 Against Thailand. Got it right down here. School, yeah, so... <laughs> you know, and then... And then oh, you, Chris, I, think, I think... I think for me, mate... Uh, I think for me, it's... Uh, 45 caps but it's a blessing it's a blessing for me to have 45
1: caps because when I was 15, 16 years old I, I would have been happy if just one cap mate. trust me. Yeah. But when you had the opportunity, the opportunity of being in the squad for so long, saying that I missed six six years of my career at Northern Ireland because uh, That's what I
0: mean. You, you, yeah, you had a six year absence didn't you and then you made your comeback against Holland on the, is it the 2nd of June 2012. That's right, nice
1: what, what, game to come back
0: through. Yeah, 6-0 six, six <laughs> <laughs> I need that too Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, when, so uh, mom well, when I came back to that uh, team uh, in Holland, uh, I thought I just thought I was in the wrong country because uh, I didn't even know half the players in Northern Ireland it was that long I've <laughs> been out in the squad for me. It was scary. Yeah. It was scary. But uh, it was it, it was I would I would love to make the fifty cap mate, trust me, I would love have loved to make it but I had it. I had a bad injury uh, just running up before the Romania game and uh, the, for the qualifying games uh, yeah. in two thousand for the two thousand sixteen, and I had a bad stomach problem, so I missed I missed, I missed that game, and then uh, Brian um, uh, Michael McGovern kept the spot in that, and he done he done wonders in in the Euros. So yeah. credit to him, like, a well, brilliant lad as well. By the way, really good guy. But I was that happens in football, Chris. It's the way you bounce back from things, mate. Yeah, I agree. And I
0: have more groups of ups in this game. Trust me. I agree, and in terms of you know, obviously your experiences with with Northern, Ireland, you know, can you sum up sort of your best experiences and obviously the the run in the Euros and things like that? Sort of what 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 was your experiences <laughs> off that and and the actual games, even the game against Ukraine, obviously the the put us in then to the to the knockout stages. Yeah, I uh, I keep it. I won't say I'll keep the a few ones quiet mate especially my debut in thailand like so I'll keep that one quiet but uh oh.
1: i think i think uh i think it was special for me when i got my first cap mate it's everybody's dream as i said before to get that but uh the biggest achievement of my life is qualifying for the euros 2016. yeah especially what i went through people don't rip lot i've spoke about my problems off the pitch and uh depression and alcohol if you told me if you told me I don't know how long ago, twelve years ago, thirteen years ago I'd been sitting in France, even sitting on the bench for a major tournament for Northern Ireland, I would have laughed at you. Yeah. And uh, I just I just sat I remember when we lost against Wales and I just sat on the bench by myself, had a lump in my throat thinking, This is unbelievable, you know what I mean? After what I'd been through and uh, and what these players achieved and what Michael and Neil achieved and the coaching staff. Uh, for a small country like Northern Ireland, it's, it's a credit to everybody who's involved. And, yeah. uh, hopefully, hopefully there's plenty more that come, like, but I'm supportive of Northern Ireland, Chris. We're all love mates. Yeah. When you're growing up, we support our country, and we give give 100% back into them. And uh, and When you have the opportunity to play for your country, it's, it's amazing to stand there, singing, sing the anthem and listen to all the supporters, uh, cheering your name and all that kind of stuff
0: yeah it just shows you as well though for any sort of young kids or sort of anyone in society watching if they have a goal in life just to never give up you're never too old i mean how old was it then that you realized sort of your that france you're probably your biggest you know experience best experience in, in football what is did you experience that was so 37 38 I think it was, uh,
1: it could have been I was turning 38, I think it was. Yeah. Yes, you know what I mean? So, you know, so never never uh, give up? You never give up in football, uh, especially goalkeepers, because goalkeepers can go on longer. It's a bit harder for outfield players, because it's, it's the body running around and stuff like that, you know what I mean? But for goalkeepers, yeah, uh, I was quite lucky to get the opportunity. Michael, ne- Michael O'Neill came back in and brought me in to the Northern Ireland squad, and uh, he started me off in the World Cup against Russia, which... Uh, it was amazing for me to come back after yeah. being so long out, and then uh, and then uh, we had a bad campaign that that them two years of that World Cup, and then Michael and Neil stayed on, and we just we just we just ran away with uh, with the group. Uh, people said, oh, we'd be lucky to make the top three. We end up winning the group, Chris. You know what I mean? Yeah, incredible. The team, the, team, the team, bonding. What Michael and Neil got to, with the players, it was amazing how things changed uh, uh, from all down. Uh, football international national football how things change you see the supporters meet this 19000 now stadium every home game now which is amazing yeah
0: and, the uh, the way he's, the ways transformed the national team and as you say the now the supporters and the players connection is is been unbelievable i'm sure you you see some change from your first cap against thailand to the way you ended your international career in terms of you know the squad the quality of the squad the connection between the fans and the players I think it, I think it's uh, football's changing every time. You
1: know what I mean? Football's changing all the time. Making like the way the way managers are talking, the coaches are talking, the players now is completely different now. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Michael he knew when to say things at the right time. You know what I mean? So the players give him respect. Once you, managers are talking about getting respect back from players, you have to give players respect first. Michael Michael indeed did that, Chris. You see? Yeah. Michael indeed did that, and uh, and that's why he has the friendship with the players. And not many players pull out from injuries anymore. I remember the time I was coming through the Northern Ireland
0: help and we play a game and there's about five, six players pull out injured. Yeah. And when you're playing now, uh, everybody looking
1: forward to going to the Northern Ireland, playing for the, for the club and playing for the country as well, but, uh, which is a big credit. And by the way, Chris, not too many players in the Premier League uh, was playing, not
0: many players in the Northern Ireland team was playing in the Premier League at the time when we qualified yeah. for the Euros. I know. That shows you. Much, how much
1: Michael but, uh, impact in
0: the, in the squad? Yeah, unbelievable. Definitely, definitely unbelievable. I I think it's actually underrated as well what he's done. But you know, from maybe not from Northern Ireland, but obviously across in England and stuff like that, I don't think he he gets the credit he deserves. Um,
1: I think he, I think
0: he would do Chris, so I think proper football people will understand what he's done. mate, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, now just something we're sort of going to move on to now. I know we're in. A week now that probably means a lot to people, and uh, means means a lot to yourself as well. Mental health awareness week, um, you know you've been very very open as well, and you've you've kindly agreed to come on and and talk to talk to me about it tonight. Um, can you just sort of, you know, if you don't mind, sort of going back, when when did this sort of all start for you in terms of, in terms of the alcohol? Is there a, is there a time that you can sort of. Pinpointed on it that you had a problem. The the thing was, Chris, in two thousand
1: and seven, I moved the West Ham. Uh, sorry, I'm telling you, hang on two thousand five. Sorry, I meant two thousand five. I moved the West Ham. I had a slight car crash and uh, done the back. Uh-huh. But I didn't realize how bad. I didn't realize how bad it was. So I carried on playing training. Uh three, two, three months later, I started getting really bad, bad, bad back pains. Started getting uh, couldn't train anymore. Just getting out watching the uh, set pieces on a Friday, so I was getting on my nerves. It was really annoying me. Just getting injections in my back before the game to try and kill the pain, and uh, then afterwards the pain went. Uh, the injection went away and the pain was unbelievable. Yeah. So I went to see a specialist and I went to see a specialist about my back and he said, "Roy, you're very lucky you could have had this called foot drop thing, where you had your nerve the whole way down your back, down your back of your leg." into your foot so I nearly nearly lost my feeling in my foot uh, he got me in got an operation he said uh, there's always a percentage that you might not be able to come back because it's, it's one of those situations in your back it could be very could be dangerous but normally the percentage is quite high you'd be okay uh, so came back got the operation came home after that, I think it was a week laying on the floor for nearly a month two months uh, I was taking a big hole mate trust me my own mind was taking a hole, uh, a yeah. big black hole, and uh, started going back into training just for a little bit of treatment and stuff like that. There, people talking to me for the first couple of weeks, talking away to me, felt okay. Uh, Roy smiling, he's joking, he's talking, having a bit of fun. He seems okay. Go back home, shut the door, have a bottle of red wine, thinking I'll oh, have a glass glass of wine. End up drinking the whole bottle of red wine. Started drinking heavily again. Heavily going out most weekends, having binge drinking. Got back nearly back out walking, feeling good. Uh, my body was getting weaker because of the drink. Yeah. And uh, I wasn't concentrating on the football at all. My fu- football was gone. Football was gone. Family was gone. I was just thinking about myself when I was drinking again and stuff like that there because the drink was would have took away the depression from me. And
0: yeah. Then I woke up the next day, I would have the depression again. So it was just. Drink made it worse because you wake up the next day and it's hundred times worse. Yeah, it's hungover, uh, it just sort of become did it just then become like a you know, like an everyday cycle for you, or as you say, you got drunk, it took away the pain a for a while. Was, like like it took away it the pain for a while. Yeah, routine and then you woke up the next day, you felt hungover, felt horrible and then you get drunk again because it took away the pain. It was just a sort of routine then that every day before and then before you know it See, you were actually caught day, up on it. That every day, every day I've jumped on a little bit here when uh, when I moved to Denmark, came back from Denmark, I yeah. hadn't gone to clubs for nine months, I, I'd never had a football club for nine months because uh, I didn't
1: care about football, so that's when I was drinking nearly every day for them nine months Yeah, and, uh, and it was difficult and uh, of course what I was saying before about me and my, me and my wife going to Greece, we split up before. Uh, Because of the drink, and she said, I've said it to her so many times that I won't drink again, I won't drink and i end up drinking again. And uh, uh, my biggest problem was I never came out and spoke to anybody about it because every time someone wanted to go out, have a party, or ring Roy up, he's, he's the life of the party, you know what I mean? Yeah. Give Roy a ring, he's okay, he's a good lad, bring him out. I'm always the first one there and the last one to leave. And uh, and it was just so bad, mate. When I look back, and lucky enough, my wife and my kids are still with me. And it was, uh, uh, and I love my wife the best. Like because after three
0: hard times for her. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and in, t- in terms then of when when did you when did you wake up and, and say enough's enough, and and finally you sort of realised then that you that you went into rehab what was the sort of click in your mind that thought right that now's the time that i need to do something or now's the time that i need i need to go and talk to someone or see one um
1: because I, I went to rehab and uh in my own mind i didn't want to stop i went to rehab because my wife and my agent wanted me to go in because what what they were saying yeah but i didn't think uh, my mind wasn't telling me. My mind wasn't thinking I was that bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and I went the I went the rehab for six days, mate. I went in the rehab for six days, which is no point. No point going in. I came back out. The press was after me, sitting outside my house for over a week, looking to trying to take pictures and stuff like that. There. Once they left, mate. I was back out drinking. Yeah. That's, that's just that's what it was doing. And then then two years later, I remember I remember clearly, like I can still remember it, waking up. And Apartment in Canary Wharf and looking in the mirror and people walking in around the apartment didn't even know how, didn't even know who people were and the apartment I was renting and uh, looking in the mirror and said hey, who am I? You know what I mean? Uh, I just I was just thought I was going to end up killing myself the way I was drinking. Uh, yeah. If I drink if drinking anything, Chris, anything that came, anything what was sitting on the table, I would have drank. I didn't care what it was and something clicked in my head which told me, what are you doing, really? And that little click in my head just changed everything in my life. Yeah, completely. And uh, the opportunity for me, there's a lot of people out there who don't have that opportunity what I got because I was quite lucky, Chris, because I got a phone call from an agent asking me to go to Greece. Yeah, and uh, there's a lot in this country who don't have that opportunity, but they have people out there they can go to and speak to, uh-huh. uh, especially especially in, through these bad times at the moment with coronavirus. But for me was the biggest thing was for me to go to Greece and change the whole lifestyle and my, my attitude life. I still, tr- I still struggle with the depression uh, like three months lock- locked up in the house so I'm going out to the shop and coming back home again I
2: haven't on the settee for nearly two days thinking what am I doing Yeah, and it does come back and you need to give yourself a kick up the backside and go out and do something go for a bike ride, go for a walk
1: just keep active, that's what life's all about keep active because if you sit down and in your room and the four walls uh, you just think bad thoughts all the
0: time yeah Mate, you're not you're an absolute inspiration definitely you know it's what you've done through what you you know what you've came through and as a man and, and the success that you've had and the way you've sort of spoke about your your mental health and stuff I know that you just haven't spoken about it on here you've spoke you know you've given sort of various interviews and stuff, and you know even if we can just sort of if one person hears this tonight and they're sort of going through a little bit of a bad time or they're, or they're struggling a wee bit you know if, if if it helps one person you know that that's fantastic um do you do you think in sort of the sport and in, in the sporting world and certainly in the world of football i mean i can think of loads of times where i've shared a dressing room with someone and a, a you know as you say like sort of drinking gambling um, you know, other addictions. It's it's never really sort of spoke about in the in the football world, and even worse, very rarely. You know, as you said, like Roy. You know, you said Roy come in. He's laughing. He's joking. There's nothing wrong with Roy because he's laughing and joking. Then you go home and and sort of open up a bottle of wine and drink it. You know, the teammates don't really know what what's going on or anyone in the club. Do you feel that there needs to be more support? See, see, the thing is, I think it has changed, and I was over,
1: I was over at Nottingham Forest, which I was there uh, before the coronavirus started, like, and uh, they have a lot of young players who, who are getting this this uh, this help, but I'm looking at the senior players, I'm looking at the senior players, because what happens to these senior players is like me, why did I not come out and speak about it, because I'm I still thinking about my football career. You know what I mean? Yeah. If, if, you were, Chris, if you were a goalkeeper, right, and I was a goalkeeper and we and we went to a club and, and the manager says, right, Roy, what's your problem? I'm, I'm an alcoholic. I'm depressed. Got depression. Would you think he would go for me or you? And yeah, you I know. Problems? You know what I mean? That's, that's the scary thing about football. It's okay coming out. People say, come out and talk about it. Uh, uh, but managers are in the job to win, succeed at the club. And that's the thing. And that's the scary thing about it. Um, I know a lot of people says, uh, for me, oh, it's, it's, it's brilliant what you do, but at the time, I should have come out at the start and spoke to the press and let the press knew, know what I was going through. But, yeah. You know, you're, scared, you're scared to come out, mate. trust me, you're scared to come out to speak to people because you're more worried about what other people think about you, especially when you're earning so much money and people think, oh, he's earning that much, much money, what's wrong with him? For, for sake, grow up, you know what I mean? Yeah. And... Uh, uh, Everybody gets this, uh, Everybody gets this,
0: and I call it the disease. It's a disease. You know what I mean? It's do you comparable. do you do you think then right. football football? Do you think football has a problem with it then, in terms of like, you know, especially sort of the man sort of macho thing that you know, if 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 footballers are thinking like that, just basically about anything gambling, you know, alcohol. If they go to the manager and the manager finds out that they might not play. In the team they might end up getting released and then their sort of career will go down the pan they might, they might not have an income if they've got a family then that sort of might fall apart you know you've all the pressures off that do you actually think that football has a problem then with, with admitting that
1: i must say i have a problem because i don't know what it's like in england now because i haven't been see when you come out of england it's it's i've been away for so long from england that. Uh, like, I went over the forest and it was a good setup, mate, for the youth. I don't know what the first team was like because yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't around the first team at the time there. So, I think they're all trying to change it. The, the PFA, Chris, you know the PFA in England, they're all trying to push mental awareness.
0: Yeah, yeah. they are, to be fair, yeah, definitely. But for me, mate, for
1: me, I, if I was a manager, and some, it's like anything in life, mate. Uh, a manager, it's a manager's life, you know what I mean? So, the manager would be thinking, jeez, I don't want this guy at the club. After him come to me, I've got a problem here, I've got a problem here. You know what I mean? It's, 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 it's hot. It's really scary to say. Like, but look at the business in football, mate, in the, in the Premier League. The money involved in the Premier League, to get relegated. The pressure on them coaches and the managers to get relegated, To be, it's a big thing for them. Yeah. And, uh, for, for senior players going to the manager halfway through the season, saying, come here, I've got a problem, can you rest me for two months so we can get this sorted?
0: Yeah, but but for me as well, like, you know, on the flip side and certainly if I was a coach or a manager, I think that your mental health is just more important as working on your first touch or working on your left foot or work you know, your technical ability or your or your tactical ability. I think that this you know, I watched a thing with was, was a Prince William on the the other night and he was speaking to Danny Rose and stuff about it and Danny Rose said that he had depression, it all started through injury and something that he said was really made sense that This here, if this is working properly up here and you're thinking, right, the rest of your body in terms of being a footballer, your right foot, your left foot, your decision making is going to be a lot better as well. You know, so I think, I think it's, I think it's just as important as your right foot or your left foot or, or, you know, working on your first touch or working on your technical ability.
1: Yeah, you're right there, Chris. You're definitely right. Like, but we don't know what these clubs are doing. You see, mate. So I can't really comment what they're doing. They could be getting people coming in once a month, speaking to speak these players and stuff like that. There. Yeah. Who knows? You know what I mean? But when I was there, we uh, we might had a we might have a talk and stuff like that. There, mate. Once in the blue moon. You know what I mean? But I never had it when I was playing. And yeah. I never had it when But football has changed, and there's a lot of. The, the, I think the main thing in fo- professional footballer, that's why there's a lot of gamble, gambling and football and uh, drinking back in the day because they had, they had a lot of time on the hands, you know what I mean? Yeah. They had a lot of time on their hands and uh, that's the big thing what you see in football, mate. We only train in the morning and maybe after lunch have a few hours and, and after lunch, then what do you have to do the rest of the day, you know what I mean? Yeah. You have, to work, you, you have to work your brain, you have to go and do something else outside football and that's what I'm saying to young keepers, uh, don't concentrate about being a goalkeeper, but make sure you always have something else outside the game as well, so you can drop back to, you know what I mean? Not, not if you don't make it, it's just because yeah. you may get an injury. Chris, how many players have you heard over your career, oh, I've lost my head because I'm injured for so long, you know what I
0: mean? Yeah, I, th- I, think, that's a, I think that's a big one. I actually, from my experience, with you know, touch wood, I've never ever really had a really serious injury, but from my experience, whenever you've been injured, You know, it's a really, really tough time. It definitely is because you're getting pressure then from the manager to come back and and be fit before you're actually due to come back fit. Then, you know, the manager's probably putting pressure on the physio. The physio is probably putting pressure on you. It's already a lonely time. You're already sort of down about it because your teammates are out training. You're alone in the gym, you know, working. And, you know, you might have a setback or whatever, you know, that puts you back another few weeks. But I feel that they're... With especially with injured players, there needs to be more support instead of making them feel bad because of you know they're injured. I'm just talking about some of my experiences, but you know.
1: Yeah. No, you're right with what you're saying. the experience what you've been through as well. I, I look back at my career and I said, like, I was out for nine months with my eight months with my back. Yeah. There's other people who had to retire from injuries, and I don't realize how lucky I was. I got back to play again. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. But people don't realize when you when your mind is playing silly little things with you thinking uh oh you know i mean Uh, we're talking about injuries and stuff like that There, probably people thinking oh what they're talking about they're coming back after six months out seven months out but them six or seven months when i was young mate that's all i done was being a footballer that was my life being a footballer no one no one told me when i was 14 15 years old that you might not be able to play for six, seven, eight, eight months down the line, eight months in, in, a, in a season because you get an injury. All I was prepared was to train during the week and play at the weekend. Yeah. So when I lost that, when I lost that uh, enjoyment of playing at the weekend and training during the week as well,
0: what well, that was just the way it was. It's yeah. Very hard and what you're going through because you, you everybody knows me. Anybody who knows me. Blood football runs through my blood mate it's just it's just in my blood and I love it every single minute of it like yeah absolutely. And it was hard to see me
1: it was hard for me to sit at the start of the season that uh start this season sitting watching the infield and, watch and then feeling, watching the premier league coming through for the first two months but once I opened my goalkeeping school I got active again so I started doing things got my mind going and that's what got me going again you know what I mean? playing doing goalkeeping schools and stuff like that what kept me mentally right
0: yeah yeah good stuff just, just moving on to a few a few questions now that, um, some of the sort of viewers that DM me through, uh, so I'm just gonna I'm, I'm not gonna get through them all, but I'll I'll sort of hop through a little. Um, did you take part in any sort of weight training while at Manchester United? Um, and if yes, how much? I know that. I always used to speak to you about Cristiano Ronaldo in the gym, and you used to tell me stories about him. You know, coming over as a skinny eighteen-year-old, and then basically transforming himself. You know, transforming himself into an absolute beast the way he is today. Um, yeah. what was what was sort of the gym like work over there? We we uh we done quite a lot of gym work, but it
1: wasn't heavy heavy weights. It was just like more light weights and doing more reps. So, say you're doing a bench press, you might do. Instead of doing five heavy weights uh, lifts, uh, you would do probably 15, 20. 20 you know what I mean, we yeah things that things out there. Uh, what I really was interested in Manchester United was the boxing what we used to do, which was yeah. brilliant. Uh, yeah, we done a lot of boxing at Manchester United. I've probably done it twice or three times a week. Uh, it got me, got me flipping, working reaction and moving and moving your feet and all that. And uh, coming back from injuries as well was very interesting because you played table tennis, you played badminton and stuff like that because it got your eye back in when you played table tennis. So it was all that kind of stuff at United, which I never had before. Uh-huh. And uh, the, it was, uh, to, to the answer to the question, so it was, we did do a lot of gym work, but it wasn't the heavy weights. Yeah. It was more like a lot of reps and
0: we are doing different circuits. Yeah. Best penalty saving why? Did you ever save yeah, a penalty? I, yeah,
1: yeah. I, I <laughs> the penalty. Chris, I saved more penalties in my last five, five my last five, six years in McGregor, I saved more penalties. But <laughs> I think this, I'm going to say Olympiagos, uh, out in Moscow, because it was like minus 13, minus 13, came on the pitch, saved the penalty, and uh, we won the game 1-0, so it was, uh, we were winning the game 1-0 in the penalty
0: last 15 minutes. Brilliant. So... What was your best slash funniest memory of David Beckham? Uh, I used to ask you about David Beckham all the time, mate, didn't I? I do uh, Tickling
1: your I'll head. Tell you you thought, yeah. I'll tell you what we thought. I went to, I went we went round somebody's house and must send the MC. Went to someone's house and had a few <laughs> drinks. Yeah. And, uh, and I was thought being being from Northern Ireland I thought it was being funny here and Bex was there and we were drinking Bex. <laughs> So I shook it back to one of Bex, and I thought it was being funny. Like, and I looked at myself and said, What am I doing? And, uh, and, and it sounds stupid now, like, but I wish I'd never done it now.
0: Him, him just looking at you going, What?
1: What? Uh, I was, uh, he said, What are you on about, Roy? Would you show
0: up? <laughs> uh, next one How intense, slash, good was Roy Keane as a captain? How intense?
1: What was that? Yeah. Yeah, high intensity. I told you before what he was like. He was just unbelievable. Like in training sessions and everything, it was just hundred uh, percent intense all the time. Like with him, even in the boxes. Chris, we used to do wee boxes before training sessions.
0: Yeah. And uh, I
1: remember uh, Carlos came in and tried to try to take the boxes away from us a little uh, ten minutes before training. And uh, I think it was uh, I think it was the wrong move by Carlos Squires at the time. So we got the boxes back and we started playing. Uh, uh, one touch, two touch in the boxes again. So it was, even them, like Rooney and Roy Keane and all them players, it was like you're talking about tackling. The uh, tackling was like you hitting your kneecaps. You know what I mean? Yeah,
0: incredible, incredible. Right. Well, listen, we're running out of time mate. I think there's only a minute left here. I just wanna, I just wanna say thank you very much for coming on and sharing, sharing everything, um, with us. As I said, on the mental health thing. If if there's any viewers or you know this sort of. It's out on social media and they come across, you know, yourself talking about mental health and your problems and how you dealt with, and then, you know, how inspiration you have been moving on. Um, you know, as I said, if it if it helps one person, you know, it's it, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, Chris,
1: and by the way, I'm, I'm, before you go, um, if anybody needs help, I'm always here to help them. Uh, you can get me on my Facebook page or or see one coach. <laughs> me I'm here to help because I know what it's like out there uh, stay safe and don't and don't be scared to talk out yeah you're a gentleman mate I'll, I'll speak to you soon Roy talk man all, right, all the best mate take See care then, mate. bye bye bye